Hey everybody, it's Drake. I hope you're doing well. This is an old rerun of one of our first recorded episodes with Ryan Dwyer uh, from the University of British Columbia as Happy Lab. And on this episode, we talk about how phone use can impact happiness. Uh, so you'll notice that the format will be a little bit less structured and the, the length will be a little bit longer. Uh, that's how we did it back in the day. We've grown a lot uh, since then, but we really enjoyed this episode and I'm sure that you'll enjoy it too if you haven't heard it already uh, or if you want to listen to it again. It's aged like a fine wine, I'm sure. So if you haven't already followed us on our Twitter, Instagram, our Facebook, or our YouTube channel, we'd really appreciate if you could follow us uh, and you know, share it with friends. Uh, we're really looking to get to more ears and we can only do that by the help of our beautiful listeners like you. So thanks again. Have a great day and enjoy the episode. Back to another episode of Rainbow's podcast. I'm Drake. And I'm Kyle. And today we have our special guest on, Ryan Dwyer from the University of British Columbia. He's a social psychology researcher. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, it's a pleasure. All right, Ryan, uh, what's your lab? What, what, what research do you do? What do you specialize in? What are we going to talk about today? Uh, yeah, so I come from the, uh, the, I guess the technical name of, of my lab is the Social Cognition and Emotion Lab at UBC. It's kind of a mouthful, so we've shortened it to the Happy Lab. Awesome, and, and that's under Elizabeth Dun- Dr. Elizabeth Dunn? Yeah, so I work uh, yeah, primarily under Dr. Elizabeth Dunn. All right, awesome. And, and what, what aspects of social psychology do you primarily focus on? Yeah, so the focus of our lab, kind of given by the, the nickname there, <laughs> is we study happiness, well-being, um, how people decide to spend their time and their money basically in order to make their lives better. Awesome. Great and, stuff. And so today, what are we going to be focusing on today? What are we going to be learning about today uh, with you here? Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about uh, some some new research that my lab has been doing. We've been sort of uh, shifting our focus to looking at the impact of technology on our social lives. And in particular, uh, we'll be talking about a study looking at the impact of smartphones in social interactions. Ooh, That'll be great. I know, you know, uh, smartphones are ubiquitous. Every, everybody has one. Everybody has one on them almost all the time. So it'll be great to, to really dive into how that's affecting our social interactions with people. Yeah, and I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of people just in my social circles, uh, they're like, these phones are ruining everything. Every, all these young kids are being affected by all this technology around, exposed to them all the time. So I think it's a really interesting topic. Uh, and you've got some interesting stuff to, to add uh, today and tell people about how yeah. technology does impact happiness. Yeah, it's a super fun topic because everyone everyone knows what it's like to have a smartphone and mm-hmm. to feel this sort of tension between your phone's vibrating, like you're getting you're getting alerts and messages and like here you are talking to someone else and this tension of like, do I check my phone? Do I <laughs> like, yeah. do I keep going on with this conversation? Uh, and also kind of on the flip side, people know what it's like to be at a party where you don't really know anyone mm-hmm. and your phone is sort of like your best friend yeah. in that moment. You it's know, a safety you can, net. Yeah, it's a safety net. You can pull it out and yeah. it's, so it's kind of everyone's best friend and also a, a source of, of conflict i guess and stress for some people that's a good point i think that's a good preface for the episode because i think when you hear happiness and smartphone use or so or technology most people think it's always negative so i think it's good to preface that there will be situations where it can be positive and negative uh 
Yeah, as you said. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's totally true. There's, there's, we hopefully will get to talk about a little bit of research that shows the the positives. Uh, not to, I don't want to spoil the yeah, results no of, of no, my no. study, but uh, <laughs> there might be some negatives as okay. well of phone use. <laughs> Great. Okay, so what are some terms that we need to know about your research area before we get into this? Yeah. So. Uh, I think with the particular study I'll be talking about today, uh, probably the only term that I need to really define uh, that people might not be aware of uh, is a a term called fubbing. Okay. So this is what the kids are saying these days. (laughs) And you. Yeah, and and researchers now. That's right. So, So fubbing is a mix of phone and snubbing. So you're probably familiar with what snubbing is. It's and if you're not, let me quickly define yeah. that for you yeah, too. Go ahead. So snubbing is basically when you kind of like ignore someone. Okay. Uh, you know, if if you were, <laughs> it's almost like standing someone up. If you were to invite someone, uh, you know, out out for dinner, mm-hmm. and then you just kind of uh, during the meal just looked away from them the whole time, never really like engaged right. in conversation. Uh, you know, things like that. That's kind of that's sort of what snubbing is. So phone snubbing, a.k.a. fubbing, is when you do that because you're looking at your phone rather than actually engaging with the person that you're there Not to be confused with things like ghosting where you're not actually interacting with them in person, right? Ghosting would be you don't actually – you you stop interacting through phones, right? (laughs) Yeah. But snubbing or fubbing is – you and me are going out to dinner and I'm looking at my phone ignoring you. That's right. Right. So we actually went – and went out together. Yep. And now I'm sn- I'm fubbing you. Yep. Because I'm because my phone's more interesting because than you my, are. My gram is just my Instagram is just lit right now. Popping off. Just yeah. kidding. I don't do Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> the brain buzz is Instagram is just going wild. Yeah. yeah. Ama- it's an anomaly. <laughs> Our Instagram's just popping off, and I have to fub you to go check my phone. So when you stop answering my questions, <laughs> and you're just checking your Instagram, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's yeah. fubbing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's and that's awful. It doesn't feel good. No, no. And I think that's probably one of the leading reasons why like people think that phones are ruining human interaction, right? Maybe because I, of fubbing. I, I think a lot of people have like personal experience with being fubbed. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and I think part of what makes fubbing maybe worse than just regular like snubbing is mm-hmm. that. When someone has their, like, when they're looking at their phone and they're, like, more engaged with their phone than they are with you, it, you don't know what they're doing. And mm. it makes you kind of curious, like, what is it that's, like, are you emailing? Like, is this right. business? Is this is this just for pleasure? Like, what, like, is Reddit yeah. more interesting than, mm-hmm. than me? And so I think there's a little bit of uncertainty that goes along with fubbing. Right. That you just don't really know why they're not giving you your attention. It's, like, it's just frustrating. You're like. Yeah. And I yeah th- is, I, is, is your date tindering? <laughs> like sitting there at dinner the most with you. savage fubbing <laughs> you yeah. see them swiping left the whole time like that's yeah. not a good first date I, I i find that personally from my experience i've been in a situation where i am conscious of myself possibly coming across as fubbing someone is that uh, fubbing someone that's what I, you would say yeah i think so i, gu- I guess <laughs> yeah so uh as my girlfriend looks on <laughs> um so but I, but I've been conscious about this, and I've been very cognizant when I'm in an inter- interaction. Someone might bring up a term or something that they're talking about. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And we're it's it's the classic situation where you have a situation where you're like, oh, 
I heard this fact or I heard this that I, I can't back up. I'm not sure if it's true or not. And then we're like, oh, that'd be really cool to know. And then I whip my phone out to Google it to see what the answer is. Yeah. And I'm worried that if I'm not prefacing this with, oh, I'm going to check my phone now to Google this to make sure that we can continue our conversation, they might perceive it as I'm screwing them over. I'm fubbing them. Uh, it, I see the reason why people are so interested in this topic and why you guys are exploring it more. Yeah, and I actually like that you brought that up now. I, I don't know that we have data to actually answer this question, but I think it is mm. really interesting kind of, you know, what you're, what you're bringing up here um, is that phones do provide us with a nice tool, like this cool tool where we can look up the answer to these stupid random trivia questions <laughs> that we just have to know the answer yeah. to right away. Yeah. And I think that that actually can bring people together in a way, you know, if you have this like burning question that you like, you you know, that you stumble across with someone else Mm -hmm. and you can find the answer then that's kind of cool. Like you can share that moment. Uh, But then when it crosses over to all of a sudden you're now checking your Instagram to see how, how big uh, brain buzz is blowing up (laughs) and you're no longer sort of actively engaged in the conversation that we were having and it's no longer sort of adding to the conversation and it's just detracting from the conversation, Mm -hmm. then I really, I I feel like that's kind of where the line, uh, you cross over the line and phones go from something that's good to something that might be bad. Certainly. I have a, when I go out for drinks with a group of friends, we're all big sports fans. And so Mm. the, the rule that we have is no no phones. phones. Just like a trivia night. (laughs) Because it's like a trivia night to each other. We're talking about, you know, hockey games or any sporting event. And we're just like, oh, you remember who's the, you know, running back for the Colts? And you're like, I don't know. And, you know, you go back and forth. And and that actually fosters some really interesting and fun conversations. Because it's like, how much do we know? (laughs) You know, and and we don't get the, we don't have the ability to just go back and and check because it's a major faux pas in this particular social circle. But, you know, how many times we've been out for, you know, drinks and we're like, Hey, this would be a really interesting thing to know right now. And we use that. We use the phone for that very tool. Let's uh, head back towards happiness. (laughs) Can you give us a definition of what happiness means to a social psychology researcher? Yeah. So, uh, several decades of work has kind of m- more clearly defined what the scientific definition of, of happiness is, because as we all know, happiness is kind of a subjective experience. And I think a lot of people, f- you know, think it's really hard to define what it is. So I, I think psychologists, uh, or in particular social psychologists have done a really good job of trying to get a very clear definition uh, of what it is. So the most probably uh, well-regarded scientific definition of what happiness is, is, is called um, subjective well-being, mm. quote unquote. And this, the idea behind subjective well-being is that happiness is composed not only of your actual um, emotional experiences, so how much positive and negative emotions you experience, but also um, kind of a cognitive evaluation of your life. And it really is the combination of those two factors that, that, composes happiness right so the i guess the the most technical definition is um kind of the balance of your positive affect your negative affect and a a subjective cognitive evaluation of of how satisfied you are with your life right so your appraisal of the positive affect and negative affect um, not necessarily just your appraisal, your appraisal of the positive affect and the negative affect, but sort of your global satisfaction with life. Oh, okay. 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 
So it's it's kind of like how much how much positive emotion do you experience, mm-hmm. uh, and then you kind of subtract the negative yeah. experiences that yeah. you have, and then how satisfied are you with your life? Right. So that, those are two different things too, right? The actual experience, the positive and and negative experiences or emotions that you feel, and your how you how satisfied you are with your life are two like a long term and a and a situational or a momentary uh measurement right so the the positive and negative affect being right now what's your positive affect what's your negative affect find the find the difference or is it kind of just like all jumbled together yeah so that in a way yeah so in a way you can measure happiness in in different ways Mm -hmm. kind of based on your question you can measure you know positive and negative affect in that moment Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. like right now how happy or how positively are you feeling and how negatively are you feeling? Uh, I think the more standard uh, approach is to sort of ask a little bit broader, a little more general. So maybe thinking, you know, about the last month, how much, how much, how many positive emotion or how much of the time have you been experiencing positive emotions um, and negative emotions? I've always had a hard time uh, separating the, the definition of pleasure and happiness um, I, I, I've, I tend to take like a hedonistic approach where it's like a, some people are more hedonistic in the sense that they seek pleasure, they, the automatic like gratification, right? And that's like hedonism in its, in its essence. What is the difference uh, if you can kind of get at it? Cause it's something that I've been trying to play yeah. with, with ha- your, your work is what's the difference between pleasure and happiness? Yeah, I, I think that this is a super good question and really fundamental to the study of happiness and also people's sort of everyday experience, like mm-hmm. wondering, like, what is what does it mean to be happy? And I think you're kind of hitting on something that a lot of people kind of intuitively think about pleasure when when talking about happiness. And I guess this is maybe a myth that a lot of people sort of like have about the study of happiness is that it's sort of the study of pleasure and pleasurable experiences. Um but kind of like you were saying, there is a distinction between pleasure and happiness as sort of defined, you know, as subjective well-being. Mm. Um, and so I would say that pleasure is probably best captured by positive affect. So the positive emotions that you experience. So if, you know, if you have a really good meal and right. it tastes really good, <laughs> your positive affect is high. Like yeah. you're, you're experiencing positive emotions. Mm-hmm. However, if you know that the person who made your meal is, I, I don't know, maybe <laughs> maybe they didn't make it of their own will. Like maybe someone forced them, right. you know, with a gun to make you that meal. Okay. Then your cognitive evaluation of that meal might be a little bit different right. than the actual experience mm. of eating <laughs> that so meal. You could, you could not be happy, but still be experiencing pleasure. Yeah. Arguably, right? Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. So yeah, you would score high on the positive affect portion <laughs> of happiness, yeah. but then probably low on the you know satisfaction with life or satisfaction <laughs> with that experience component. I, I just picture someone eating like an apple pie while crying, but salivating at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the pure example of happiness and pleasure being distinctly different yeah <laughs> that's right uh maybe knowing where that pie how that pie was made I yeah don't so why like this might seem like a silly question but explain to us kind of uh if you don't mind explain to us where the intersection between happiness and technology research and phone research came from 
So I guess, are you more curious in, in, with our study in particular or kind of more broadly, like well, why are psychology researchers interested in, in sort of the intersection between? I'll let you decide which avenue you want sure. to address. Um, either or works. But Sure. I think, yes. I think how we got there, I mean, we'll talk about your research in depth because that's like why, why you're on. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, let's, let's get a little bit of... Uh... So if you can start with the broader and then just sort of... Why is it important, or why why are you doing that research, or what yeah. has been done previously that led you to do that work? Yeah, right. Uh, a little introduction. So yeah. So I think one of the main findings of uh, you know in the study of happiness is that your social connections are kind of the most important thing for your well-being. Mm -hmm. So to the extent that you have uh, like a good social support network, that usually predicts how happy you are. And the, the people who are happiest, uh, you know, who rate themselves like a 10 out of 10, those are people who usually have really strong and good social connections. Yeah. So I think that's kind of where uh, smartphones and technology really overlaps nicely with the study of happiness. Because like we were talking about earlier, smartphones have just infiltrated every area of people's lives. And in the case of fubbing, you know, phones have really made a big impact on the way that we engage with other people and our social interactions. So to the extent that phones have kind of upended the normal, you know, social interaction, then that could have a big impact on sort of the main contributor to people's happiness and well-being. Mm -hmm. I know that within social support and social network literature, the bigger your social network generally lends to more positive outcomes, right? Like the more people you're interacting with and that you are a part of your network, the better. Uh, and the better social support, obviously, the better you're going to be. But I think there's some there's some interaction within, within technology that you're getting at that I've never really looked into in my work or in that, that area is that you may have a big social network, but what if your social support is being hampered by the fact that you're interacting on your phone with other people while you're around individuals on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, I think there's there's kind of two interesting things there. One is, is what you just said. Uh, and then the other one is that, uh, you know, to what extent are... So if we have close relationships, mm -hmm. to what extent are we replacing face-to-face -face contact with our closest ties with, you know, computer me technology-mediated communication yep. with people? So it's very common nowadays for people to live far away from their closest ties. Like mm -hmm. if you think about your, you know, your family, your closest friends, yeah. um, you know, modern society allows us to move very far away from people and to just visit them, you know, during holidays. But what does that mean for, you know, your social support network and kind of the mixed blessing of technology is that it allows us to, you know, to call your mom yeah. and tell her that you had a hard day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, technologies like like planes and things like that have allowed us to move very far away and we're no longer um probably living as close to those close connections as we used to mm -hmm. and so you probably aren't seeing your mom you know face to face as often as as you would have in you know previous generations yeah and so phones are this mixed blessing where you get to communicate with your mom but it's probably less quality than it would be as a face-to-face -face interaction mm -hmm. And is that, is that the consensus or is that what uh, has a lot of research focused on that? I know that's really, that's the debate in my head within social interaction and technology is can 
technology replace face-to-face and i think that's what everybody that i've spoken to about this kind of area of research is does texting or does phone calls or does skype does that really replace a face-to-face social interaction and i i think that you the way i know the work that you're doing is trying to get at that um so i mean it's fascinating and i'm 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 looking forward to getting into the the work you're doing now because i think correct me if i'm wrong i don't think research is there yet at able or is able to definitively say one is better than the other yet so so there is some work that has looked at sort of social support through different mediums so either face-to-face or through texting or through phone calls right and so they've kind of looked at this question directly which is great um and i think that the the general takeaway is that sort of the the fewer um the less quality uh, you know the the further away you get from face-to-face communication the worse the social support is Mm -hmm. so face-to-face is the best Maybe voice calling or Skyping is, you know, a step down from that. And then texting is another step down from that. And uh, I don't know what's below. I mean, phone call call would be between the Skype, like the other video call and the voice. Then you have just the voice. So basically the the fewer cues you can get from another person. Yeah. So, you know, going from face to face to Skyping, you kind of lose the, the sort of three-dimensional you know a- aspect in the lie like the mm-hmm. the immediate response between the two people yeah because skype usually has you know a little Delayed bit of a delay speed. and yeah. that like that actually matters mm-hmm. and then going from skype to a phone call then you lose the visual yeah. and then going from that to you know texting then you're losing tone and all these other things that are super important for me for communication yeah i think other work has shown that uh as far as communication goes like a majority of what you're saying is communicated through your tone mm. versus the actual, the actual content of what you're saying. So, so we know that you're working on, on smartphones and how they impact happiness. So what are you wanting to talk? What, what's your research do? Or what, what have you, what have you done in research to address this? Yeah. So kind of building off the conversation we were having about sort of the importance of social connections and and good social interactions uh so we had kind of noticed that like in everyday life you see more and more that people are having these conversations they're going out to dinner you know with other people and they're pulling out their phones and we're just curious like what what kind of impact is that having on people's social interactions and on the quality of those interactions so kind of our main research question is what is you know what is the impact of smartphone use on social interaction Okay. Uh, and in particular on people's well-being and their kind of sense of enjoyment and, um, you know, connection in those social interactions. So, um, it's, it's so it's so ecologically valid Yeah, that it's it's just yeah. perfect. It hurts. Yeah. Yeah. It, hurts. It, hurts. it hurts everybody to hear the results. <laughs> and, and it might, the nice thing about this work is it might actually change people's behaviors listening to this episode, I which, so. which we hope, like, I mean, the, we'll talk about implications, but I think it's very interesting because your work gets in people's heads and it just infects them and they're just like i am screwing up (laughs) (laughs) i am doing this all the time and and once that's in their head they'll they'll start to change that behavior and change the habit possibly and and that's actually something that i love about social psychology is that it traditionally social psychologists have been have been really interested in studying things in like real world context and having like very you know 
vivid real life experiences and studies um and that's kind of what i like about this study is it kind of follows that tradition of actually capturing real everyday life and getting people's actual experiences and kind of like measuring what their real experience is like in a way that people can read about my study or hear about my study and it's it's just so vivid and and directly relevant to their life that they can take that away and and hopefully make some kind of improvement. Your research specifically has this ecological validity, which we may have said before in previous episodes, but I'll define now is the ability to be valid, the, the results to be valid and represent what happens in everyday life or in the real world, right? Yeah. So do you want to lead us in and, and tell us how you study this? Yeah, so in this in this uh, you know line of research that we've been doing, we uh, so we did a big study where we actually looked at social interactions in a real restaurant. So we invited people to come with, you know, in a group of uh, three to five of their friends or family members, come to this restaurant, we'll pay for your meal in exchange for, you know, doing the study. Mm-hmm. And we either told them to put their phones away into this little container that we had uh, during the meal or to keep their phones out on the table and kind of use their phones as they normally would. And then we just let them have a meal. And then afterwards, we handed them a tablet with our survey questionnaire, and we asked them about their experience. So Pretty straightforward. Yeah, pretty straightforward. So what kind of restaurant are we talking about? Are we talking about Applebee's, McDonald's here? (laughs) What kind of restaurant? A a general sit-down restaurant, right? So we did this at a place called Calhoun's Cafe okay. here in Vancouver, which has now closed down, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, so we're not supporting. We're not, we're not like a, we can't support them. Yeah. yeah. In any way. Yeah. We can't give them a shout out to, yeah. to drive oh, in more bad. business. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So they're kind of a casual uh, cafe slash restaurant. And it actually worked kind of ideally for our study because it is a cafe, so you will see people there using, you know, computers doing homework on their phones. You'll also see people sitting down with, you know, with their friends having a, a proper meal because mm-hmm. they also, you know, have full, uh, like a full menu with full plates. Yeah. So it was kind of nice because it gave us an environment where it was sort of normal for people to be there having dinner, and it was also kind of it felt okay for people to pull out their phones and it didn't seem like, you know, a nice fancy steakhouse or something like that where it would be like really frowned upon. What were the conclusions? Yeah. So I I think the biggest takeaway is that when people had their phones out and they were able to use their phone um, and they did people on average use their phone for about 11% of the time. Uh, So when people were using their phones, they enjoyed the experience less than when that compared to the people who did not use their phones. 11% 11% of the time, that seems like a small number, like 11%. It wasn't 11% of the participants. It was 11% of the time you were sitting down and... and uh, yeah, so on on average... In the group that had... Yeah, on average, each participant used their phone for 11% of, say, the 60-minute meal. And, and this could be sort of passive phone use, so it could be you know just sort of texting... Or it could be very active phone use, like getting up from the table and like going and taking a phone call. And you guys observe, how did you measure that, the phone use or the touching the phone? Was it observation? Uh, so we had a small GoPro 
camera okay uh right at the table and it was sort of um hidden on the side everyone knew that it was there everyone knew that they were being filmed and they all con- consented to that yeah. uh but we tried to make it kind of as discreet and unnoticeable as possible because we wanted people to act at you know as normally as as they would um yeah, they're not they're not sitting there being like, "Oh, I'm in a study. I better not do anything weird." There, it's there's not yeah. five people standing yeah. over them with lab taking coats. notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah just a, a team of scientists and lab yeah. coats, just you know, jotting yeah. down everything. That Eleven happens. thirteen consumed fry. <laughs> <laughs> no ketchup, animal. <laughs> so, how do you measure their enjoyment of the meal? Yeah, so at, at the end of this, the meal, we gave them a tablet with the survey questions uh, that we were interested in. And so we had people basically just self-report, uh, you know, on a, on a few different measures that we had. Uh, but the kind of the main one was, you know, how, how much did you enjoy the experience? How interested were you in, in the dining experience today? And you saw a drastic difference between the individuals that were interacting with their phone, even 11% of the time, versus individuals that were not interacting at all. Yeah. So, and I guess I want to make sh- make sure that I'm clear. So we had um, so groups were assigned all to the same condition. So right. everyone in the no phone, uh, in the no phone condition, everyone in that group did not have their phone. And then groups that were assigned to the phone condition, everyone had access to their phones. Mm-hmm. And so we were just looking at you know people who are in who were in the phone groups versus people who were in the no phone groups how you know how much did they rate that they enjoyed their experience and on average the people who were in the no phone condition enjoyed the experience more is it as simple as asking somebody how happy are you you know do people actually respond to that in a way that is interpretable for a researcher so i think what's good for well-being researchers actually is that people are the best judges of how happy they are. So really, I, I think self-report works fairly well for asking people about how happy they are or how much they enjoyed an experience because you're the only one who knows how much you enjoyed it. It's got to be the only way, right? Like, Yeah. I mean, you could measure how much people are smiling and, and things like that, mm-hmm. but that has such a strong social component to it. I mean, you could... You can smile and laugh at people's jokes just because you, you know, you're, you're being polite. It doesn't mean <laughs> yeah. that you're actually enjoying the experience. You, got, you told a horrible joke, but I feel sorry for you. Thank yeah. you for smiling and laughing. <laughs> it was so well. bad. We just couldn't help ourselves. It's a good point. Yeah, it's a really good point. The way that I see the study, and I'm sure this is probably the way you guys conceptualize it, it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily a no phone in a phone condition. It's more or less a, a regular condition where everybody has access to their phone if they, if they would have it. And then the only change is the other group. You told them straight up they can't use their phones. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like you're telling them or preemptively making them think about their phones. You're not saying you can keep your phones out. We're we're not we're we're gonna be looking at your phones. Use like you're not saying that. It's just enjoy the meal. We're watching you. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a control, a control condition against uh, rather than two experimental conditions. Yeah, it's, we it's have a, a control it's condition. A, it's an ecological condition where it's yeah. just, this is what you'd be like in everyday life a real real world example and then you have this control group where you just take the take the phones away it's right great. so i have a couple thoughts yeah. on that so so one thing that's interesting about research is you do have to choose your control condition right and and in a way yes in a way our no phone condition we, we are treating as our control condition 
But in another way, it's also an experimental condition because mm-hmm. people, people often are using their phones yeah. out to dinner these days. I think an interesting nuance of our findings is we can't, we can't be sure if it's the effect of having your phone makes people have a worse time or if it's the effect that putting your phone away makes you have a better time. Absolutely. Because you don't, you can't, there's no other group that you can control for. This is, it's everyday life versus no phones. And you can't decide which one's better or if it's, this is making this worse or this is just making it better. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. And and so how do you guys, what do you guys think? It's honestly, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Right. Uh, it's, in our paper that we published, we, you know, we had to choose a way to frame it. And so mm-hmm. we framed it as sort of phones have a negative impact on social relationships. So we're kind of treating uh, our social interactions. So we're kind of treating not having a phone as being the default. And that's kind of the control. And then having access to your phone is sort of the new thing that has happened in life. Mm. So we're tr- kind of just saying, so what's the impact of that new thing in our life? And we're saying that it it has a negative impact. I think it, I see it as a vintage, like a retro yeah. throwback. Well, right? school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, should, it should be taking place in a diner in the fifties or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People are now like all about, Oh, I don't bring my phone out when I go out because that's, that's how they used to do it. I could see that becoming a trend now. Yeah. Uh, Here's a question for you, Ryan. When people have their phones on them, even if they don't have them out, they're typically placed in their pocket, right? And if it's in your pocket and it goes off, you can feel it. So even if you, at that stage, are making a conscious effort to ignore it and be engaged in your conversation and be mm-hmm. interested in your in the your dinner partner or partners. Your thoughts been split. Your, yeah. yeah. I mean, your how... Your attention's been split. Your attention's been split. And I can imagine, I know I, I've certainly felt this way, a level of anxiety knowing my <laughs> phone is going <laughs> off what's in the box what's yeah because <laughs> yeah, you know you're immediately like who's calling me like mm-hmm. everybody that would normally be messaging me or texting me or whatever it might be is sitting at this table with me so who is now contacting me and what do they want what am i neglecting what am i supposed to be doing is everybody i know okay like curiosity killed the cat i think Kyle. yeah so <laughs> so do you have a recommendation because you know, I think for me, even if I'm making that concerted effort to, to put my phone away and, and really be diligent about that, if I'm putting it in my pocket, I may as well just have it, you know, on the table, uh, you know, with lights going off and sirens every time somebody messages me. So is there a recommendation that you would make for a listener about how to how to better manage their phone at a in a restaurant situation or a social situation, any social situation for that matter? Yeah. So again, I, I have so many thoughts that I, I want to cover. So I'll see how many of them I can remember we to get to. We got yeah. lots of time. We got lots of time. So one part of, of what you're uh, talking about uh, kind of concerns the methodology that we use. So I could kind of talk about that a little bit. Uh, another part, uh, I think, focuses on one important part of our findings, which is um, what is mediating the effect that we found by mediating i mean sort of like what's the psychological process that's leading from phone use to less enjoyment uh and then the other thing that i i think i want to talk about is the fact that um you know we don't know for sure if it's the individual's phone use that is 
you know, kind of the, the cause of, of the problems, or if it, it could be someone else who's sitting at the table using their phone, uh, that's, that's having the negative impact on you. So I think I'll start by talking about, um, basically what, what we think is accounting for our effects. So we found that, um, to the extent that people are using their phones, it was causing them to be distracted. And that's exactly what you were describing. Like even, you know, even if your phone's in your pocket, it can ring and go off and it makes you start thinking about, you know, what's on the other side, like who's trying to get in touch with me. And so to the extent that that is distracting you from the real social environment that you're in, that's going to pull you away from, you know, the conversation. It's going to draw your mind elsewhere. And I think you're going to have a worse time. Uh, and that's kind of, that's what we saw uh, in, in our study. I, I've had one thing. I've had one thing happen. I don't know if this ever happened to you. I think there's something anatomically wrong with my body now because I've had a phone <laughs> in my pocket for so long. I've felt vibrations in my leg yes. when my phone is not on me. Phantom. Phantom, yeah. the, phantom, phantom vibrations, vibrations from the phone. Th this is a real term. But There's like a real scientific term to describe the really? feeling that your phone is going off when no it's way. not. And what is that term? I think it's something like phantom vibration or phantom phone or really phantom limb. vibration syndrome. Oh, so I had a syndrome for a while. PBS. <laughs> PBS. That's you can say that. That's what it's called on Wikipedia, at least. I mean, I, whether that's the. Uh... So I just looked up. I just looked up phantom vibration syndrome. I guess we're calling it PBS now. Uh, and it's from the independent. So don't take those facts as, as you will, but they say 90% of people suffer, suffer from this phenomenon. That's interesting. I don't know how they got that data, but I mean, I'm sure as we've all around the table, we've all felt it. So, yes. I mean, it, it checks out for the most part. Three for three. <laughs> at least. That's how research is done. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting. And so that also is kind of a funny thing that is like impacting how you interact with people. If you have this fan PBS and you're like checking for a phone that's not even there. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I think people kind of have people are probably familiar with the experience of like being at a party and like maybe uh, a conversation is starting to like dry up a little bit. Yeah. I think that's when PVS as we're calling it now uh, <laughs> might flare up, you know, yeah. <laughs> suddenly you have to check your phone cause you're pretty sure that you just felt it vibrate. Oh, for sure. Someone's definitely texting you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just got to take this call. It's my right. mom. Dude, it's 2 a.m. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Odd hours. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess back to Kyle's main question yeah. is sort of, you know, what, what can you do uh, to kind of prevent this? Or, you know, what are some steps that you can take to, to not be the type of person who's checking their phone all the time? Um, other than, than putting your phone on silent, I think maybe the next best thing is to just be more aware and more conscious of when you are using your phone because it can become such a mindless activity you know like with phantom vibration syndrome like you're kind of your brain is expecting your phone to go off and that's because through kind of you know conditioning you know you're you check your phone and you get a little bit of a dopamine reward like your brain gets rewarded for checking the phone because you usually have a message and it's kind of rewarding to you know to see that so you get in the habit of of checking your phone so being just more aware of that 
and kind of making a conscious choice of when you're going to use your phone and when you're not. And just based on uh, the, you know, this study that we did, I think a great recommendation is if you're going out to dinner with your friends or your family, just make, make it a rule that you don't pull your phone out during that time. Yeah. Um, and I guess maybe you could have like an emergency ringer and, you know, in case there is some kind of like someone needs to get in touch with you, like maybe right. you have a different setting on your phone so you don't miss that call. But otherwise, just put your phone away and just like my people let know it be. If there's a problem. Got to call me two or three times consecutively. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Right. I, I have one other one other recommendation. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I've heard of some people actually uh devolving going back a generation and using flip phones Mm. on purpose because they know that smartphones offer so much useless entertainment that if they pull out their phone to answer a call then before they know it they're checking their email and they're you know playing angry birds yeah and (laughs) they didn't mean to but it's just smartphones just offer so much um so actually just yeah Going going back down to a flip phone, which just gives you texting and, and phone calls, and just using your phone for that only. Yeah, and they're an absolute nightmare to navigate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you yeah. don't enjoy texting on no, a flip phone. No, you want to leave that thing at home. Yeah. So one thing that I'd like to uh, go back to Ryan, if you don't mind, you mentioned that uh, one way to be a little bit more aware of your. Uh, or one one way to avoid excessive cell phone usage in social situations is to be more conscientious of your cell phone usage and to, to be more aware of <laughs> my bad <laughs> getting bummed over here got excited for the break <laughs> the brain um, break <laughs> uh, so one of the things one of the things that you were kind of saying was you know you need to be a little bit more conscious uh, of your phone use and of your phone and, and to me that makes a lot of sense but i think that could be a little bit counterintuitive in that we're encouraging or you're encouraging people to actually be aware of their phone and be aware that yeah i don't have it and i don't need to have it or uh i'm using it but i shouldn't be using it or i'm I'm using it for this one thing and i'm putting it away again um and i think that's a really interesting point that you're making and one that uh is really well served more generally for people is just to be aware as to what they're doing with it and how it's affecting and what you're saying is is that it's affecting other aspects of their lives that they're maybe not aware of up to this point so i think that's really breaking the habit i think is is really important right yeah and being cognizant of it and being aware that uh by fubbing i'm interrupting something that could be more engaging it could be a better conversation yeah, and I think that actually kind of ties in with some of the other findings from the study, yeah. which are that, so this this isn't what we expected, but we found that people, again, when they had access to their phones, they rated the experience as being more boring compared to people who did not have their phones, which was counterintuitive to us. We figured that if you had access to your phone, that that should provide you with the you know the world's wealth of entertainment. You know, mm-hmm. you can access all the information that that we've amassed as as a society so if there were to ever be some kind of lull in the conversation or if you wanted to look something up like you have the answer right there at your fingertips you have this source of entertainment at your fingertips so we figured like phone use must provide people with you know addition like it must buffer them from the boring parts of conversations Mm -hmm. but we found this interesting effect where it seems like the opposite might be true 
and actually phone use, it seems like might be distracting people and that's leading potentially to worse interactions. And it, it kind of makes sense when, when you think about it a little bit deeper um, because if you start looking at your phone to like, to entertain yourself, then that just pulls you away from the conversation. And so, yeah, maybe there's just a short lull in the conversation, but if you didn't have your phone, then you think of a new interesting thing to say. But if you can just jump to your phone, then you stop the conversation right there. And like we were talking about earlier, like it's, it's good to commune, like it's good to have face-to-face interactions. It's good to, to share meals with people and to have good conversations. And so if, you know, you're stopping those conversations because you're just using your phone as kind of like this little safety blanket, then it can really, um, you know, be stopping off the good parts of conversations that just require a little bit of effort to get past. Yeah. Effort. It takes more effort to engage and think of new avenues to go in a conversation versus flipping your phone out and seeing what can be spat into your face more or less. You know <laughs> totally. I mean? Pho- phones are designed to be as easy and kind of initially interesting as possible. Like every app, social media, all of these, you know, all these things that are on our phone are designed to be so easy to use mm-hmm that you just stay on them mindlessly and because that's how they get money you know instagram and facebook and uh you know all these all these apps that you have on your phone get money when you refresh the page when you look at the next picture so they just make things really attractive really appealing they send you notifications often so that you open up the app and they make it so easy to just passively look at what's going on yeah because they know that humans work that way. We do what's easy. Yeah, we seek instant gratification right. constantly. And it, that's probably one of the only places that you can get that is through that kind of technology, right? Yeah. It doesn't social, happen. Social affirmation. Yeah. yeah. It does this this kind of instant gratification doesn't happen in a conversation. It's it's a long term kind of I had a great conversation with this person. Yeah. And now I'm thinking about all the things that they said. Y- you cut that up with this 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 phone use or the fubbing and and you don't kind of get to soak that in or actually really evolve the conversation to a greater level yeah it's it's lower level functioning more or less when it comes down to it yeah i mean most of the best things in life require effort yeah you know it's not the easy things it's the things that you have to put work into that are even worthwhile Mm -hmm. and i think that you know this is just a good example of that like good conversations require a little bit of effort and what i know of the well-being literature is also if you want to improve your happiness and your well-being it requires effort like it requires you making maybe difficult changes in your life and like sticking to routines and exercising like exercise we know is one of the the best ways to actually improve your your happiness but it's difficult. Like it's oh God, <laughs> like it's hard to get to the gym or, yeah. you know, but that's where the best benefits are. Yeah. And so it's just a matter of getting yourself over that initial uh, input of effort. I like the idea of long-term payoff. It's, if you take a hedonistic approach, things seem like the technology that we have right now seems like the best option, like the best thing in the world. Right. But it really isn't, it's it's tough to equate but you can't instant payoff or instant gratification things that can happen in in seconds 
are not going to have this long term long or the longevity life impact that we want that we seek yeah. and, and it's so it's so hard when it's not tangible but everything with technology and smartphones is tangible it's i got a like here i got a notification i'm, I'm into that quantifiable i think yeah. that's the word you're quantifiable for. yeah see but this is what i think is really interesting about like facebook and instagram is they that is why likes work and that's why they use likes because it's, it's a way to make something that's intangible tangible right like the People's fact interest. the fact that people are interested in some picture that you posted yeah. that's like intangible like they they like that like yeah. that's not tangible but they've they've made it tangible by allowing people to press a button that says like right. and then it counts up the number of likes that you got and now you have a number assigned to that picture like the number of likes i think that's a great point that technology really it, it preys on the fact that you get instant gratification but it's a lot more unlikely that you'll get this like long-term gratification or this long-term uh satisfaction the well-being that you're looking for all right ryan what is a myth or misconception uh that you've come across in your research area yeah, I, I think maybe one common thing that, that I hear is that uh, kind of we already knew this. <clears throat> mm -hmm. uh, so I think people are aware of the fact that smartphones are having an impact on their social interactions and in their life in general. Um, yeah, so people kind of have this intuition of like, why do we need to study that? Like, don't we already know that? I think the answer is actually no. Like, we didn't know for sure uh, what the impact of smartphones are. Um, and also, I, I think that the research that, that I've done uh, only shows the impact of smartphones in one situation. Uh, and we didn't really talk about this other study that was part of uh, the paper, but we did also look at um, other, uh, like a broader set of social interactions that people have sort of outside of just, you know, eating a meal with other people. Uh, we did find that smartphones do tend to, it seems like they do have, kind of an impact across social situations. Um, but even even that being said, I think it's possible that phones can be really useful in some situations. And without kind of doing more research, we don't know exactly when that will be. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like maybe people do have a correct intuition that their phone might be, you know, detracting from their social interactions. Um, but one, we don't know exactly when that's going to be. And two, I think it does really help to actually see the science to support that idea. When I, when I first came to UBC, uh, we talked about this idea of like explaining what your research is doing. And, and, and this is before you're finished your study on uh, that you're, you're talking about today. You're, you're talking about uh, telling your parents what you're doing within your research. And you're like, I'm looking at how uh, social interactions are impacted by by phone use and they're like well, well yeah of course they are and you're like well yeah i know of course they are <laughs> but, but but i'm trying to prove it like i'm trying to show some evidence and like you want to see that evidence and i think it's more now than ever is it really important to have this empirical data or this this evidence to say this is what we have shown i mean using your smartphone right now if you were to go and google something you could find a million different answers to the same thing and, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. It could be someone just saying their opinion and this is their intuition and they're spouting it as facts. And that's really impactful today when you're trying to make informed decisions on things, right? Yeah. Uh, it's tough. It's it's tough knowing what's true and what's not. And that that's another issue for another day. But I mean, 
you need to prove these things. You can't just yeah. assume that. I mean, if we we were just going off intuition, we'd we'd still think the Earth was flat. And so, although people some some people do, uh, still today. But oh, I mean, Lord, <laughs> is it not? <laughs> Ryan is not a flat earther. That was for anybody not in the room. It was sarcastic. <laughs> don't, don't speak for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's a great point. Ryan, uh, where did the myth originate? I think that that this myth kind of applies to a lot of uh psychology research actually um and i think yeah i I think that people are sort of lay psychologists um so everyone kind of has an opinion and has their own like everyone's convinced that they understand how the world works and that they understand the impact that the things in their life have on them um and to some extent people are probably right like people probably do have a pretty good sense of how, you know, how things impact them on a personal level. But there are these things that like you, you know, without actually studying them and seeing kind of what the average effect is across a bunch of different people. We don't know what that real effect is in in the full population. Um, So I think the myth originates in people feeling like they really understand their own psychology right but mm-hmm. that's psychologists study things that are maybe a little bit um not unconscious but a little bit <clears throat> su- they're more subtle mm-hmm. and it's hard to understand from one person's individual experience what impact that thing has across you know a wide you know a wide population right. of people we well, are the I- masters of our of ourselves or we know we are the most knowledgeable in our own information and our own emotion our own and people are biased to thinking that i think this way so everybody else must also agree with me absolutely and and i think what's interesting about a lot of research is when you actually get the numbers and you're looking at the raw data um that's not always borne out you know (laughs) a lot of people think very differently from each other and that's that's uh what makes us so unique and so interesting and so challenging and fun and exciting to study at the same time um so i think that that's a a really interesting component of psych research in general Mm -hmm. um yeah go ahead well so one other thing i want to say just kind of on the on the general topic of like if you know if if this is obvious then why why is it important to even study in the first place we actually we didn't find effects on several of the other measures that we had in our study so we were also curious if you know social connection would be lower um you know and and a few other uh measures and so the general trend was that phone use led to negative outcomes and so kind of across all the measures that we had in our study we saw that they all sort of tended to be lower for people who had access to their phones but we didn't find significant results with a, with a lot of the individual uh, measures that we had. So like with social connection, for example. So we didn't see that there was like a large impact on people's feeling of social connection. So even though we saw that maybe they enjoyed the experience less, the the data that we have don't quite provide full evidence that, you know, social connection is impacted. So this researching this type of thing actually gives us more information about the sort of specific parts 
of your life that smartphones actually impact. And maybe it's not, you know, a global thing. Maybe it just impacts a few individual things. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where there's sort of value too, is it gives us some, like, it gives us more information about the specific things uh, that are affected by X, in are this you, case, smartphone use. That I think is a really fascinating thing for you to have actually mentioned on the show is, is like, yeah, we found this one finding and it's in line with what we all expected, but there were a lot of other things that we were looking at and also expect to find results in that that didn't bear out for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, another big component is that although some people might have intuitions, we don't know how big of an effect these things are really having. How how impactful is technology really on your happiness? Is it is it is a very small amount or is it a large amount? You can't guesstimate that. You you have to investigate it, right? <laughs> and and that's what this work is about is to say how big of an impact is this really having on on social interactions? Yeah. I that's such a good point is yeah, research gives us an idea of the size of effects. And so in this case we found that actually the the impact while it it is there, so people you know they de- they definitely it was they definitely were rating that they ex- enjoy the experience less it wasn't huge i mean we're not talking like going from it. yeah like yeah. this was a great meal to i would never <laughs> want to see any of these people again yeah um, we're talking like if you were to give this experience so you know a one to five star rating on google mm-hmm. probably going from like a four to a 3.75 yeah. kind of thing. You know, it's it's yeah. it's there. Like, that is a difference, but we're not talking the end of the world. Just because we say it's statistically significant does not mean it has real-world implications. Yeah. It, there's a difference between the groups is what that means. There's yeah. a difference. But yeah. is it really impactful? That's another question or to debate, right? And that's the effect size that we're talking about. Yeah. Like how much of an impact does this have? Are, let's let's quickly define effect size because I realize maybe to this point we haven't done it effectively. Um, would any of you like to offer a definition of effect size? Yeah, I so, mean, again, I guess at like the most simple level, it's just like if you do this, how much is it impacting? How this? much does it impact this outcome? Yeah. So yeah. maybe going back to the example of like Google ratings, like on Google Maps. Yeah, or something that's a great like that's that. a great it's example. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. The effect size going from four star to three point seven five, the effect size is point two five stars. Yeah. Um so I think that's sort of like the most simple way to yeah. think about effect size. Absolutely. People like to 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 draw conclusions based on small effects within papers or just because it says statistically significant in a paper doesn't mean that it is telling you the absolute difference, right? Like I have a great example of this, and it's kind of in the same domain of what we're talking about today. So people may be aware of a study that came out from Facebook about how if if people post either positive or negative uh, things on their on their news feed, that it sort of like impacts other people to post positive or negative things. Right. And so there was like this big media buzz about yeah, like Mm. negativity is contagious. Right. But if you actually look at the effect size, it's so small that it's completely meaningless. Yeah. So that result was statistically significant because they had 
I don't know, like millions, a mil- yeah. like millions of people yeah. that they were studying. So basically any difference is going to be statistically significant. Yeah. It was like every 3,500 words, one more word will be a negative word. Oh my goodness. If you've seen a negative post. So I don't, one in 3,500 words yeah. will be more negative? Yes. I don't know that in my entire <laughs> Facebook career that I've ever even written 3,500 words. Yeah. So, so like maybe your next, you know, yeah, your my next, next post will have like one, one extra negative word. Yeah. In wow. There. That's, and I imagine the way that that study has been picked up in the media is that if you see negative posts, you're going to be more likely to post negative negativity. Yeah. Right? And it's said, you're, Oh, Facebook can, can manipulate what you see. And that right. that's going to have some huge influence yes. on society because yeah. they can show you more positive or negative stuff. And that's going to change yeah, people's behavior. I just want to be clear because this will be coming out at a time in which there's been a lot of issues with Facebook and targeted ads. We're not referring to targeted political campaigns. We're specifically <laughs> referring to posts from friends and people within your social yeah. circles and networks. If you're exposed, if your friends are more likely to post negative things, is you are you're going to post negative things. But one in the effect is exceptionally words. small. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's important, right? And that's that's things that no one is taught unless you're taking graduate level statistics classes because they don't even teach that in undergrad levels. Yeah, is the importance of really disseminating that research, and it's. It's troublesome, is yeah. I guess what it is, and and, and speaking in absolutes is never appropriate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's a great point. Yeah, let's yeah. dive into s- some facts now. Um, what are some interesting facts or stats that you've come across? And now that we've gone against stats and said that they're not always the best thing, and that people don't always have a good grasp of them, let's talk about a few numbers that people might actually really, uh, really get a grip on. Yeah. So some things that I've found that are kind of interesting about this whole area of of technology and social interactions um so people use their phone on average for about like three hours a day three hours wow i'm sure i do too but kind of you know just including everything phone calls and reading articles and things like that but we're just you know on our phone for a lot of the time a lot of our waking hours three hours and and do you and know what we're doing on that? Is, like, what are people doing? I, hopefully, listening to this podcast, probably an hour fifteen, right there. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> yeah, I assume that the stat includes things like listening to podcasts, right? Non, non, in, like, not strictly looking like FaceTime, right? Like, yeah, with the actual screen, it's just use of three hours. I right. could definitely see that. Yeah, but that's still three hours of your day that you are engaged with your phone in some way not and interacting not with interacting others, with other people. Fully, at least. Right. right Potentially, yeah. yeah. yeah wow. I mean, you think of going on the bus, right? You're on the bus and you see people, everyone has headphones in or everyone's looking at their phone. It's so... Uh, it honestly, it stresses me out. Really? And, uh, yeah, it stresses me out. It because... stresses me out that somebody might want to get on the bus and talk to me. <laughs> that stresses me out immensely. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that point of view too, I guess. As somebody I, who took the bus to get here today, I was like, don't talk to me. I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm very aware of the fact that I, f- I feel like the bus or tr- public transport is I'm just super hyper like sensitive to this stuff. Because obviously, I know, Ryan, we've talked about your work before. 
and I'm very aware of when I'm using technology, but it's so abundantly clear in those, in those situations. And I even, I take my, my headphones out of my, my, uh, from my ears because I don't want to be on my phone. And then I'm just sitting there looking at people <laughs> and everybody else is listening to their music or on their phone. So I don't know what I'm expecting. I don't want to have a conversation with anyone. On Everybody's getting like anxious at this one guy who's yeah. like what trying to make eye contact. <laughs> like, no. no, please leave me alone. But it's like, yeah, it's, it, I guess it's dependent on when you want to interact and when you don't want to interact. And, and everybody has only su- such limited time and during the day. Right. Yeah. And there's a cool, there's a cool paper actually that has, looked exactly at this situation that you're describing so there was a study where they uh they looked at people on the bus or on the train and they either asked people to talk with someone or to just do what they like normally do and they found that the people who actually like have you know start up a conversation and have a conversation with other people were happier and had a better time if they you know, when they were talking with other people versus when they just did what they normally do, which tends to be listening to, you know, their, their headphones or reading an article or whatever. Listening to the show. Or listening to the show. We're yeah. not saying don't listen to the show. <laughs> no. <laughs> but that's, I mean, I could 100% see that. What we're saying is actually get a bunch of your friends together and listen to the show. On speakerphone. On speakerphone. So only one person is using the phone, but you're still taking it. <laughs> no, Just put it on the speaker. Put it on the bus speakers. Yeah, even better. Let's. let's you've got a lot. <laughs> you got. You want, a lot. you want the other you, ones? You've got a lot of facts here. Want, all right. Uh, and I'm stoked about all of them because I think yeah. they're all really interesting. So Good. nine in ten people report being ignored by friends or family because of phone use. So this would be fubbing. Sorry, Ryan. Could you say that again? I was just on my phone. Too much. <laughs> I'm not enjoying this at all. <laughs> my my subjective well-being is low. Right now. <laughs> okay, so nine out of ten people report being ignored. I don't find that surprising at all. To be no. honest with you, yeah, no, yeah. Ninety uh, percent of cell phone owners reported using their cell phones during their most recent social activity. So that actually backs up that previous fact. Yeah. Yes, pretty well. By saying that they actually did do it. It's not just them falsely reporting it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And now I'm thinking back. I've used my phone a couple of times with you guys. Today. <laughs> <I feel laughs> bad. Oh, you're super sneaky about it. No, it's a, oh, yeah, that's good. So then that works. I yeah. wasn't fobbing you hard. In the last interaction they had? Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. That's actually really... It, I, I like to say it's surprising, but I don't think it is. I think it's sad. Like, just more than anything, I just think that's sad. Yeah. I think it just speaks to how much we're using our phones. And yeah. that it's we don't even realize how how frequent right. it is so, so I guess because it's become so normal. This is something that I want to talk about. I wanted to talk about on the, on the episode because I think it's, a lot of, it's in a lot of people's minds. Like, is, is this an addiction, right? Uh, I mean, you're talking about 90% of people using their phone in the last social interaction they had. So is it an addiction? Are, are like are people actually addicted to their phones or is there something else going on that you think? Yeah, so I don't know this research super well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if, yeah, I, I'm sure that there's specific criteria for considering something addictive versus not. What I have read, though, definitely supports the idea that using your phone does provide you with, you know, like chemical responses in your brain that kind of reward that behavior, behavior. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um so 
to the extent that that's addictive, then, then yes. Right. And I think it also plays back into what we were getting at with this, like this instant gratification, right? Like you get that, that dopamine release or that kind of that neurotransmitter release. That's really like, it's the feedback that this is, this is good. You should continue to do this, uh, regardless of the situation, the social context. And I think that's where those things kind of habitually just kind of impede into these social interactions, right? Where you're having, you're having a great conversation with somebody and then just instinctually you, like you open up your, your smartphone and start looking at something like a blank screen. It, it, It definitely happens constantly where I just, I I'm reaching for my phone for no reason, whether or not it's an addiction with the phone or if it's just this kind of stimulation, like this addiction to being stimulated, uh, or aroused, uh, I don't or, know. Or habit. Yeah, or just a straight up habit, right? You, you use it so mu- so often. I mean, three hours a day. I mean, these 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 work really well together because they kind of uh, further the strength of each stat. Do you yeah. have any more? Jeez, you do. Have I, I have more. more. Yeah. My goodness. <laughs> so I, I think another interesting thing is that people tend to disapprove of phone use during social interactions, yet they do it anyway. Right. So. The, the set I have is that 88% of people disapprove of using your phone at family dinner, yet about 40% of people actually report doing it. This kind of just highlights that tension of like, we all kind of know it's bad, mm-hmm. but we all do it. I know you have one. I mean, a lot of people are really, it's a, it's a really important issue right now is the use of phones while driving. Do you have anything on that? I do. look at this guy that was a great setup yeah uh yeah so so some research has found that using your phone while driving is comparable to driving drunk which is terrible uh because people do it you know people people text on their phones while they're driving i think it's uh, becoming illegal in in most places but i I don't most it's most provinces are illegal in canada is it all of canada that it's legal Illegal? Illegal. Yeah. Yes. It's illegal I, I in all think, of Canada. I believe it and is. In certain states in the U.S. or is all of the U.S.? I know some states at least. I don't know about all of them. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. It's... And they, they increased uh, they increased the penalties in B.C. Right. Uh, just last year, I think. Are they... Is it considered impaired driving now? It's... I think the police are basically... Distracted driving. Distracted right? driving. And they're, they're almost equating the two in terms yeah. of punishment it's it's super like that's that's frightening that's really scary because you drive anywhere yeah and you pull up to a stoplight you always see people you always see somebody you look over and and i think you look over you look down yeah (laughs) and you're on your phone yeah like it's it is frightening and it's something that i mean i know my parents have really been really conscious about it and always are asking like making sure i'm not on my phone but i mean People tend to make excuses regardless of the situation. I only do it at stop signs. Or I only do it yeah. at red lights, things like that. It's, you're still splitting your ability to react. Your, atten- your attentional focus is now divided between at least two things. Yeah. Right. And and humans are god awful and multitasking. Yeah. yeah. Regardless of the situation. That's scary. Yeah. And I think the other interesting thing sort of beyond driving is that you know, this means if you're using your phone during a social interaction, that's essentially like you're drunk. Yeah. And you're hanging out with someone else, <laughs> like right. someone who's sober. Yeah. You yeah. know, like that's. Unless both of you are drunk. 
Well, if you're both then, using your then phone, then maybe work, it's yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I was just going to say, what a yeah. picture, you're just on your phone. <laughs> it's probably not the same interaction of two people drunk talking to each other versus two people on their phones. <laughs> like, if you've ever been sober where other people are drunk, mm-hmm. it's super annoying. There's definitely two things going on. It's you're you're pissing the person you're talking talking to off, 100%. Oh yeah, and then you're also not paying attention to what they were saying, and and those are two things that will not be conducive to a good conversation or interaction. So you're pissing them off, and you're not even noticing that you're pissing them off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Classic. I think sounds like a recipe for success. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's this is obviously me speculating and talking on my ass, but uh, I think there's a lot of credence to this, and I think this hopefully people are can reflect. I know I'm reflecting on how I use technology in social interactions. I, I hope I can cut it down after this episode. <laughs> well, I think uh, w- one last water cooler fact that uh, our listenership should be aware of, this one comes from Drake and I, is that Ryan was, we'll give you full credit, you came up with the name for the show. That's right. I did. <laughs> Over beers. Over, over beers. beers. At a brewery. We were, I think we were at a brewery. Main Street Brewing. Main Street Brewing. And uh, we were brainstorming. Brainstorming names. Yeah. Brains were buzzing. Brains were buzzing. <laughs> and you came up with it. We came up with a lot of names. Yes. Yes. Not a lot of them stuck. We, Drake and I, Drake <laughs> and I came up with a lot of bad names. We came up with a few good ones and we kept the best ones. We should give credit where credit's yeah. due. Ryan uh, was the originator of Brain Buzz and for that we owe him an eternal debt of gratitude. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Ryan. You're welcome. We appreciate it, buddy. I do expect royalties. So. <laughs> yeah. When we start collecting checks, we'll make sure you get a cover of that. Action. <laughs> That's good. And so we always like to ask... Uh, a mind-blowing fact so you have one that's really interesting yeah so in the last year or so i realized how cool octopi are they are the most amazing creature (laughs) that exists on earth i think like people think that aliens would be cool like we got (laughs) them right here (laughs) they are under the sea yeah yeah so so octopi can change color and texture in less than a second and so they can basically just blend into their environment and they know like what what you're going to see like what your perspective is going to be so they like turn into the right like color and texture based on oh on God, your position wow. to them it's incredible i mean the fact that they can change their skin like that and then also just to know like what you're going to see yeah um and and then also they can fit into really crazy shapes like they can fit into a little jar like they just squeeze into it and they also have like incredible intelligence and they can solve like really like well not really complicated but like fairly complicated for for an animal um like puzzles and they can figure out like how to do stuff in a way that like really makes you question <laughs> if they have some kind of like consciousness right wow. super cool i saw i saw just as an aside i saw a video yesterday of an octopi being attacked by a shark it was on i think planet earth or blue planet or mm-hmm. whatever that was and the octopi was like well i can't win this fight conventionally so it stuffed its legs into the gill of the shark to strangle it i was like what people have found like octopus 
uh, attacks on like sperm whales. Giant octopi ha- octopi have killed sperm whales. Sperm whales are like huge. Like an airplane sized <laughs> animal. Like they are like a, more than a semi truck sized animal. And these there's giant octopi that are attacking these sperm whales. That is the scariest thing I've terrifying. That's how you're gonna hop of. in the ocean. Yeah. You just gotta go like Holy kilometers, miles down into the ocean yeah. to find the scariest things like you'll ever imagine, right? Oh, it's amazing. That's, yeah. that's a cool. That's a that is a mind blowing fact. That's a really mind blowing fact. <laughs> yeah, find a YouTube video. It will be worth your time. Yeah, that's definitely so invest good. a little bit of time. Take that three hours that you spend on your phone and invest a little bit of time onto Octopi. That's like right. Five minutes minimum. Five that's right. minutes. That's all you need. Well, with that, let's uh, let's call it an episode. Thank you, Ryan, for coming on the show. Uh, you've been a great guest. We've had an awesome time. Ryan, where can people get in contact with you if they want to? learn more about your research so uh probably the the best way to contact me you can go to the ubc social cognition and emotion lab you'll see liz dunn her her face up on the page <laughs> go to grad students you'll find my contact information there yep and we'll link to that on our website as well yes we'll have yep. we'll have a uh, guest bio um as well as more information on the episode itself so if you've enjoyed the show uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, please go back and listen to other episodes. Uh, you can find it on iTunes and Google Play. Like, subscribe, give us a rating, leave us a review, leave us a comment. Was there something you liked or maybe didn't? Uh, let us know. We're always happy to incorporate feedback into future episodes. Anyways, with that, we'll say goodnight. Thank you for listening and cheers. Cheers.